0: Hello, everyone. Oh, it's kind of loud. Um, I have a few announcements to make for a few programs coming up. So tomorrow, we have songs, stories of the Sephardim. You have to register for the program. It is here downstairs. It's at 2 PM. Oh, sorry. Uh, On Sunday, we have uh, uh, Ken Dryden, uh, Roy McGregor, and R.H. Thompson will be presenting their books. They will be selling their books and you could get autographs. Uh, you need tickets like this to, in order for you to be able to attend the program. We give two free tickets to everybody, whoever wants to come. You could either, I have 10 tickets down here, but the rest, uh, if you if I run out, you have to go upstairs to the front desk to get tickets. We also have on November 1st, Renee Karp presenting her book, Father's Children. It will, you need to register for that program and it will be heard, uh, ha- held in the multipurpose room. And also we have the new monthly calendars of the programs for the month of November. There are, some of them are outside of the auditorium. So everybody welcome, Mr. Dwaskin. thank you.
1: Hi, good afternoon. Thank you, Angela, so much. I saw there's this play that's being put on by, um, by the Code St. Luke seniors. I think I saw it over there called um, not grease. it's called ointment. Yes. So yeah, you, in that order looked, to, it looked really good.
2: Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, so in order to purchase those tickets, you could go to the reference desk, and they will help you out in purchasing tickets. I think for seniors, it's $18 for right, the tickets.
1: Yeah. yeah, hey, listen, could be good. Um, okay, so um, for those of you who came l- last week, of course, we spent the whole time talking about the Hamas uh, war with Israel. Um, I would like to just point out a few more sort of interesting a bit not interesting but you know f- updates and things like that and then if you if it if you want to I'd like to go speak about something else but I know that this subject is of course on the top of everybody's minds and um, I'll start off by saying that uh, as I mentioned last week, from now on- <clears throat> until whenever this conflict finishes, um, all the eyes will be on on Israel's attacks on Hamas. And all the cameras will be on all the damage that's being done there. So um, it's something that from a PR point of view, from a news optic point of view, uh, the cameras are there where the action is. The cameras aren't where the action isn't. Since the war, um, attack on Israel is finished, the cameras aren't there anymore. The news reporters aren't there anymore. Yes, they're there of course to report on the war but the the uh, cameras are not focused on the damage that's caused to Israel. That damage has been done already. They're not going to retell the story again and again and again. But every time um, Israel has carried out yesterday something like 500 sorties on Gaza, and so there's plenty of international reporters there to report on the damage that's done. Um, Nobody likes to walk backwards. They always like to go forward. Um, The uh, attack, uh, I mean, Israel mobilized some 300,000 soldiers within a week to get down to where the fighting is. And now there seems to be a pause. And of course, people are asking why are they pausing? Um, people in Israel are asking the question, people abroad are asking the question. And um, of course, I for sure don't know. Nobody, nobody except the people in charge knows. Can you, t- yeah, thank you, thank you so much. Um, yeah, there's always speculation. The speculation revolves around different circles. One clear circle is, of course, the fate of the hostages. And uh, there is very intense negotiation going on uh, to resolve the fate of the hostages, uh, some of them, a lot of them, or all of them. This negotiation is mainly being carried out via Qatar. So Qatar is a country A wealthy country in the Gulf, which has always been a supporter of Hamas, which has always been the lifeline of Hamas. It's where Gaza gets its money from. And uh, Israel has used Qatar, even though they have no relations with each other. Israel has used Qatar as a middle middle, uh, agent to contact Hamas. They also use Egypt as an agent to contact Hamas. But um, Egypt does not really owe um, Hamas anything, uh, but Qatar, uh, uh, Qatar has been supporting financially and has been supporting Hamas through other means um, from the get-go. So, uh, Qatar is a very close ally of the United States. The United States has a huge military base located in Qatar, and Qatar is a country which has much more leverage on Hamas than Egypt does. Egypt has some leverage on Hamas because uh, the only open border between Gaza and the rest of the world is now through Egypt. Um, That Rafah border which was reopened to allow some uh, uh, food aid and emergency aid to go into the country. Now what I was reading, and maybe you heard about this too, that the two and a quarter million people who live in Gaza, they require 500 truckloads a day of supplies. And so the 20 truckloads that they let in, plus another 18 truckloads, is like a drop in the bucket. So for sure, life is becoming um, very uh, tough for those people there. Israel cut off the water, the electricity, and and of course all of the food supplies going into the country. Um, and you know, of course, the usual suspects at the United Nations are raising a hue and cry about this. But I, you would have to ask yourself: forget, forget, forget that this war ever took place. Let's say it never did. Um, Gaza is not Israel. Um, so if Israel is selling. Water, fuel, and food to Gaza—they don't have to do it. It's not—it's not like it's not they're obliged to do it. There's no contract for them to do it. It's—it's um, uh, it's done for various reasons, and um, uh, it's not the Gazans that are paying for it. Again, it's the Qatar that's paying for it. So um, uh, it's. Um, It's uh, just the kind of a a kind of a thing when when I hear well Israel has a responsibility to provide them with these things. Well, I mean, you know, Canada doesn't have a responsibility to send oil to the United States if they want to they do if they don't they don't. And if they have other customers they do, etc, etc, etc. Now, you know, the, the uh, danger, of course, for Israel, the big danger that they're much concerned about, is the uh, opening of a second front in Lebanon. And it's known that Hezbollah has 150,000 rockets. And on the last war, they shot off about 40 or 50,000 of them, causing some huge damages in Israel. And the quality of the rockets and the distance of the rockets and the range um, uh, of the rockets and the um, guidance system of the rockets are much better than the homemade stuff that uh, Gaza has been using. Today, this morning, I read, you might have you seen it, they shot off uh, a, a large volley, uh, the Hamas did, of about 500 rockets aimed at Tel Aviv. So
0: rockets that they shot
1: off before was not their whole supply. They have you know, un, untold of rockets left. Now, um, the hostages that they released, the two old ladies that they released, gave an, embar- an embarrassing um, um, interview uh, at the hospital that they were h- held at, saying that they were well treated by Hamas, that their medical needs were looked after. And, you know, Israel is kind of embarrassed uh, to have something somebody say that. But look, uh, it's a free country. They were the ones who were the hostages. They, they could say whatever they want. But what they did say was that there was a kind of a spidery network of tunnels that they were moved around in. And um, Israel may know about some of these tunnels, but they for sure don't know about all of them. And Israel this week tried a sort of, we'll call it a mini exploratory incursion into southern Gaza. You know, they, they, they seemed to be wanting to invade northern Gaza, but they said, heck with it. Let's go check southern Gaza out. And they sent in a tank and they sent in some a bulldozer. And they were immediately hit by rocket propelled grenades and blown up. So and one soldier was killed. So what it means is that Hamas is not defenseless. They haven't used up their weapons um, at all. And um, that's one of the reasons why this delay is being uh, uh, is happening, because Israel still has to figure out um, exactly how do they proceed with this invasion with the minimum number of casualties, knowing that Hamas is so well-armed, so well-organized, uh, so well-trained, And um, it's a formidable opponent, you know, that they they underestimated before. So so this is one reason. Uh, The second reason, of course, is to prepare all of those 300,000 reservists to actually take part in the battle. They have to be uh, trained, updated, organized um, you know plans have to be made etc 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 and this does not take a short time again not underestimating their the the resistance that they will face once they get to Gaza. the other delay is caused by the world and especially the united states who is who is uh today israel's main supporter who has provided israel with with the replenishments of their Iron Dome missiles that they've used up hundreds, hundreds, I'd say thousands, not even hundreds, thousands of Iron Dome missiles, and I recall reading that there are fifty thousand dollars each one. So a thousand of them, you know, is quite a big pile. And the U.S. is replenishing that supply, and the U.S. sent over two aircraft carriers, but in exchange, in exchange, the U.S. is asking Israel to um, allow this negotiation for hostages to take place, because once the invasion starts, obviously there can't be any negotiations. Uh, That's one thing. The humanitarian issue of this invasion is another one. Um, uh, You know, Israel uh, is in a tough spot to try to balance achieving what they want to do militarily, without unduly harming innocent civilians and the word unduly is is the key here so they have to figure out where that balance is and um, you know the world is looking over their shoulder because you've got instant um, communications you have instant social media you have instant reporters you have satellite tv you've got all kinds of you know modern technology that can actually tell people what's going on uh, the moment that happens so that's That's another consideration that they have to work out. Um, The other consideration that has to be worked out, which France has asked, the United States has asked, they say, okay, so Israel actually goes in and achieves its goal of either conquering all of Gaza or half of Gaza. Um, They may get rid of Hamas or they may just tamp it down like a fire gets tamped down, you know. But then what? So the then what is what um, uh, the world is asking Israel. What are you gonna do once you take over that territory? Are you gonna just pull out again and just let things start going back to where it was before? Are you going to occupy it as an occupying power uh, and treat Gaza the way Israel treats the West Bank? In other words, Israel's forces are there. Uh, The army posts are there. They can intervene anywhere they want. Um, Are they gonna do that? Are they going to um, ask the Palestinian authority led by Mr. Abbas to rule over Gaza the way he partly rules over the West Bank? In other words, make these two territories one. Um, Are they going to call in maybe some kind of a United Nations a peacekeeping force to look over what's doing in Gaza the way the United Nations has a peacekeeping force in Lebanon that's supposedly looking to make sure that the um, hostilities don't break out again and uh, a most ineffective force it is in Lebanon. So all of these questions are have no answers. And because they have no answers, um the uh the invasion is being delayed um israel would love to be able to get information on where the hamas is and how well they are armed and all that kind of thing and so they're trying to scare up all their resources that they have in gaza to give that information that also takes time so that explains a bit why this delay is happening but on the, um, that's on the one hand, um, Israel has now evacuated some 200,000 people from areas around the Lebanese border and the Gaza border. They're being put up in hotels or they're being you know, looked after by, by friends and relatives. The question is how long can that take place? The 300,000 reservists have been removed from the economy um, uh, causing all kinds of damage um, you might have read or uh, I read that Moody's decided that they may downgrade Israel's credit, which is an enormous step to do uh, because of the war. And when a Moody's uh, downgrades a country's credit, it means it costs them more to borrow money. Uh, so that's a huge impact, a huge financial impact. The, um, <clears throat> the farms around the Gaza produce 60% of Israel's vegetables maybe 65% of all the vegetables that are consumed in Israel are grown in that flat, plain area around Gaza, you know, in that, you know, in that um, same region. And um, all of the foreign workers have left. Um, There's nobody there to pick the crops. And if they don't get picked quick, they're all going to just rot. And so Israel is trying to figure out what to do about that issue. The agriculture minister of Israel said, we would like to give 8,000 Palestinians from the West Bank the right to work and pick all these crops. Mr. Ben-Gvir, the security minister who hates Arabs, says, I don't want to do anything that makes Arabs' lives better, so I refuse to let them come in. Uh, They're a security risk. But Israel, the agriculture minister said, look, the only people who will let in are people over 60 years old. There's still plenty of those who could pick crops, and women also. But uh, Mr. Ben-Gvir is saying it's like rewarding the Palestinians in the West Bank for the, um, for the misdeeds of the Palestinians in Gaza. So, so meantime, you know, every day that passes by, there's more damage that's being caused there. Um, so the Israeli economy has taken quite a hit so far, and the longer the, the, this this sort of stalemate occurs, as a, the 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 stalemate situation, every day that passes is a is a lost day for Israel. It's not a not a winning day. So at a certain point, they have to say either look, forget the whole thing. We caused enough damage. Let's go, Let's all go back to work and pretend. Uh, let the United Nations and let the world free our hostages. And when it comes to the soldiers, we'll make a deal to free their prisoners for our prisoners. And you know that's one scenario that could happen. Or they could say, okay, that's it. You know, we waited long enough. Let's just go in. And you know, they say, damn the torpedoes, and let's just uh, see what happens. But they, they, they were well warned by the United States to say, look, remember the United States, Biden said, look, after 9-11, we were so upset. We were so uh, shocked that, you know, these these Taliban, these al-Qaeda's could come in from Afghanistan and, and, and bomb the World Trade Center with 3000 people being killed, that we sent our troops out there immediately And we're stuck in Afghanistan for 10 years with nothing to show for it because we lost what we lost, all the soldiers that we lost, over 5,000. And plus, Afghanistan today is exactly in the same hands as it was before we got there. So he warned Israel, look, before you take steps that are based on emotion, think through what you want to do first. Think of what your goals are and then, um, you know, come up with a reasonable plan uh, not just for the next two weeks, but, you know, in the, long, in the medium term and the long term as well. And so maybe, you know, the Israeli government is figuring that out. Also, what happened this week, I'm not sure if it's this week or last week, that the, the government expanded, so Mr. Lieberman um, joined the government, his party joined the government, the Israel is our home party, and uh, Mr. Lieberman was a former defense minister in Israel, He represents the Russian-speaking secular uh, population in Israel, and he is a very strong enemy and opponent of the religious uh, parties in Israel who want to impose religion on the whole country. And he's exactly on the opposite, saying we don't want any religion imposed on the country. Just let people live their lives how they want to live them. So uh, it's clear that there won't be any um, thing done in Israel while this whole crisis is is unfolding that will change the status quo that was there beforehand. Um, In a sense, uh, the writing is definitely on the wall for Mr. Netanyahu and his government. Uh, Every single day, new people come up and say, this was our fault, the head of intelligence, the head of the army, um, the uh, the um, ministers in the government. There's only one person who said, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. And that's, of course, Mr. N. Because uh, he just can never admit that he made a mistake, just like his counterpart in the United States. The same thing. Never apologize, never look back. And um, the Israeli population knows it. And the the newspapers have written about it. And they said, hey, how come all the people in in charge of the army have said, look, we made a terrible mistake. Um, We have to look at everything we've ever done to go back and see not to make this mistake again. And the head of the country, you know, where the buck is supposed to stop, has not, not said that he did anything wrong. Um the ladies, those two ladies, though 270 85-year-old lady and the 79-year-old lady, they said, Hey, you know, like we're sitting right there on the border, we never saw a soldier. Where where did all these people where where did they go? What, what happened? And you know, if, if these ladies can criticize the government, how come the government can't accept responsibility? That was that's kind of what the newspapers are writing there. Anyway, that's um that's the um That's the most recent update. There was an attempted sea invasion by Hamas this morning where they tried to, uh, they sent divers, you know, like scuba divers uh, around the border to try to, you know, hit hit the beaches of of Israel, but they were all caught. Um, And also, Israel is preparing not just to do a land invasion, but they're also preparing a sea invasion, which actually might be in a certain sense, the best idea, because the border, uh, the land border between Gaza and Israel is so fortified and so mined, it's got so many tunnels in it, that if Israel approaches from the beaches, and they uh, sort of bomb the beach area to, to clear a path, that might be the best way for them to, uh, to invade. Um, so that's about, you know, the week's update that I could sort of come up with. Uh if any of you have any questions, we'll let we'll finish on this maybe subject and see what else we can get to, but go ahead. Yes, Bernie.
2: You mentioned
3: that guys gaza you normally gets around 500 feet trucks a day. Right. And they're only getting
1: 20.
3: Right. See pictures of hundreds of trucks lined up. Who's yeah, they, stopping.
1: Those trucks are all those trucks are all in Egypt. But who's stopping? Who's stopping them from going into Gaza? Well, um, uh, Israel has to give its permission for those trucks to come in, um, because they say if we can't be sure that those trucks don't haven't, you know, don't contain any weapons in them, uh, we're not going to let them in. We can just bomb the um, the entrance, the border entrance, the way we did before. So uh, that's um, part of it, um, and uh, you know Egypt's Egypt Egypt's concern. Egypt doesn't care how many trucks go into to Gaza. They're they're all willing to uh, send all the trucks that Gaza needs because obviously they're benefiting you know a bit financially from this thing. But what Egypt doesn't want is for the border to be open, I mean, physically open, so that streams of Palestinians could just be running across the border into Egypt. I mean, these people are desperate. They have no food, no water, no electricity, no nothing. If that border is not tightly controlled, people will just go across it the way they're coming across the US, the, the, the Mexico-US border. And that's the last thing Egypt wants. Um, you know, some countries have said to Egypt, listen, if you let these refugees come across, we'll pay to make refugee camps in Sinai. And Egypt said, "We don't want these people in in our country to make problems." And um, uh, you know, many Palestinians are saying, "Look, this is a sort of a form of ethnic cleansing by Israel. They want to remove Palestinians from Palestine, and we're not going to leave." You might have seen the terrible scene um, this week. Israel uh, bombed the church. Uh, you know there are very very few Christians in Gaza, but there are there are some. You know perhaps somewhere around a maximum of two thousand and a minimum of five hundred Christians living in Gaza. Um, and Israel bombed the church and then said we we hit the wrong target. So. Um, there were like 17 Christians who were dead. And well, what's interesting is, you know, when you see pictures of Gaza, you see women always covered in the hijabs. And here these women were just like, just like, you know, just like the women sitting over here. They just were, they weren't wearing hijabs. They weren't wearing flowing uh, robes or anything like that. So, um, you know, for them, of course, it's a tragedy because their community is so small and so weak and so, uh, repressed um, but anyway it, it doesn't look good on TV when you see a priest with this big cross on it you know and he's got this s- bodies just lined up in body bags and um, like I said from now on that's what the press is going to be showing because that that's what the news is that's all there is um, uh, so it's uh, you know we could talk about the effects abroad of this year all of the you know palestinian rallies all over the world and um you know some people would say well you know what's the matter with these palestinians don't they realize that they're the ones who started it and so my my uh, my my take on this i have a few different takes on it one take is is that <clears throat> One take is this that um, when people are not living in their homes, when they're like let's say abroad or in exile or call it what you want, you know, when they're living abroad, um, they want to stick up for their people no matter what it's it's almost like it's almost like supporting a sports team. so you know if you are let's say somebody who always stuck up for the montreal canadians but you moved to vancouver you know you're going to be even a bigger montreal fan because you know that's the only way that you can express your 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 devotion to the cause that you grew up with and you believed in all the time so it's a kind of a team sort of identification at, at one point or other um the other the other uh issue uh, and this is a very kind of, I, I would call it a hard to, what would I say? It, it's a, it's one of these issues of correlation and causation. So, you know, I'm a great believer, and you should also be a great believer, that correlation doesn't mean causation. And in our daily lives, we mix these things up all the time. So Mr. Guterres, the Secretary General of the United Nations, said, look, the Palestinians have been occupied for 75 years. Gaza has been an open prison since 1967. Uh, The people are suffering. Uh, The government of Israel has not given the Palestinians any kind of fair treatments. And and the, the next thing which he didn't say is, so what do you expect them to do? You know that's the kind of the kind of we'll call it a rationalization, but it's not a causation. In other words, all the things that he said were true, but the but is, and it's a huge but that doesn't have anything to do with what the um, what the attack uh, on Israel uh, did uh, on October seventh. That was an attack that was planned for a whole year. Uh, the Hamas had all of its own motivations to do this attack, at using or rationalizing or 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 um, or or you know using as an excuse in a certain sense the, um, the 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 situation the so-called Palestinian situation. They themselves are the cause of the misery of the people living in Gaza. It's not Israel that's the cause. The Hamas is the cause because. When Israel took Gaza over in 1967, they didn't put any restrictions on the life in Gaza. People in Gaza could have taken a bus to Tel Aviv every single day if they wanted to. Um, People in Gaza could have worked in Israel, and they did work in Israel for years. Um, Israelis could have gone to visit Gaza and shop in the markets, which they did. So it wasn't Israel's occupation per se, which they conquered in 1967, Um, that caused the misery of the Palestinians is Hamas's actions against Israel, which um, forced Israel to take more and more defensive measures to try to block uh, what they were doing. And I have to add, block unsuccessfully, because you could see all these years of blocking didn't do anything, right? This was was a a policy which cost a lot, but achieved very little. The, The... the blockade around Gaza since 2007. Yes, it made the people's lives miserable. Yes, the unemployment rate in Gaza is the highest in the world. Yes, they have more children under 18 than they have people living over 18 years old. Um, uh, They really are living in a kind of a a slum of two and a quarter million people. Um, Israel is the immediate cause of that, but it's not the... End cause of it. Um, the end cause is Hamas and its attacks and refusal to accept Israel as a state. Um, and, you know, of course, you can go even further back and say, well, uh, Egypt ran Gaza from 1948 to 1967, and what did they do for the people in Gaza? So, um, you know, it's it, it, because it's a complicated uh, scenario. You can't put your finger on something and say this caused this, or this caused this, or this caused this. That's what I'm trying to uh, trying to say. Yeah, over there with the hat. I can make up
4: some of what you said the beginning of your talk. What is Gaza? Is it a territory? Is it a country? Is it governed by?
1: Okay, so okay, all right. So here's a, here's a good question. What is Gaza? I mean, it's definitely. Uh, A good question. We'll we'll go back and say that, I'm not going back into ancient history. We'll just go back as far as 1920. In 1920, the League of Nations gave Great Britain the mandate to rule over Palestine. And to create in that mandate, their job was to create a Jewish national home in Palestine. That was one condition. The second condition was, without prejudicing the rights of the people who already live there, meaning the Arabs. And so uh, from two, for two years, from 1920 to 22, this mandate of Palestine included what we would call today, the State of Israel, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank of the Jordan, and the Kingdom of Jordan itself. All of that was in the mandate, not the Golan Heights, but everything else, that was the mandate winston churchill decided in 1922 to reward the arabs for their help in the first world war and he separated the jordan from the mandate so that means that only palestine was left being part of the mandate um you know history is history and uh, during the mandate many jews arrived in palestine to live there because when 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 Great Britain received that mandate, the Jews were 10% of the population of Palestine. And the Arabs were 90%. Because of uh, the things that went on after the First World War, especially Germany coming to power, the Hitler coming to power in 1933, hundreds of thousands of Jews wanted to emigrate into Palestine, and many did. So that by 1947, after the Second World War finished, the Jews were 33% of the population and the Arabs were 66% of the population. At that point, the United Nations decided to divide Palestine into a Jewish state and an Arab state. So Gaza was in the Arab state, not just Gaza as we know it now, but lots of land that's attached to Gaza, lots of land which um, adjoins Gaza was part of that uh, Arab state. The whole West Bank was part of the Arab state, and the whole part of the Western Galilee was part of the Arab state, including Nazareth and all the Arab uh, villages around there. So, had the Palestinians at that time said, "Okay, we've wanted a state all our lives. Here's our state. You know, it's we have to live side by side with the Jewish state." but there'll be two states in Palestine. A Jewish state, they could call it Israel, and a Palestinian state, we could call it Palestine. Jerusalem and Bethlehem weren't given to either part. They were supposed to be kept by the United Nations itself as international cities. That's how the United Nations said in 1947. November 19... November... November 1947. There was a vote in the UN. 33 to 13 voted to accept this plan. The 33 were the Western countries. Israel did what didn't exist, so Israel didn't have a vote, of course. The 13 who opposed it were mostly the Muslim countries uh, that were members of the UN at the time, including Afghanistan, by the way. But you know, Egypt, um, you know, uh, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan. These countries all opposed it. That could have been that, right? Israel would have had a very small, uh, weak, we'll call it, state. But you know, the day after independence was declared on May 15, 1948, the Arabs invaded from all sides, including Egypt. And there was a war that finished in January 1949. So that war was eight months long from May, yeah, what is it? May is the fifth, yeah. A five and eight, yeah, nine eight months long. Israel lost six thousand people in that war. So one percent of the population, the six hundred thousand Jews were living there, six thousand were killed in that war. So if you think of one percent of Canada—that forty million people, one uh, percent would be four hundred thousand people in Canada. So that's you know, or in the U.S., it would be three point three million people died in that eight months so that's really you know quite a quite a loss to the country but miracle of miracles they not only retained all of the parts that were supposed to be given to them as a jewish state but they also took a lot of what was supposed to be part of the arab state all of the western galilee was taken a big piece of what was part of the gaza section was taken and refugees, refugees who were living in the largest city, the largest Palestinian city in 1947 was Jaffa. Jaffa, the suburb of Tel Aviv, we'll call it. These people, uh, there were somewhere around half a million of them, or to say four, even maybe more than that. 500 to 600,000 people moved during that war, left what became the State of Israel, and went all over the place some went to lebanon some went to jordan some went to the west bank some went to gaza um the people who lived closest to the places that they could get away from they went to those places so people from jaffa went to gaza because it was close people who were living in the galilee went to lebanon people who were living in the um in the, in the uh, sort of area between uh, Tel Aviv and Haifa, they went to the West Bank. So that's how these things created. So Egypt, during this war of 1948, Egypt occupied the Gaza Strip, what became the Gaza Strip, we'll call it. In other words, the boundary that was drawn between Israel and its neighbors in 1949 was not any kind of a real historical or natural boundary. It was a boundary that was where the Israeli troops finished and the Arab troops started. That's, that became the boundary. Um, and in the case of Gaza, is, Egypt occupied the Gaza Strip. with exactly the same dimensions that we know today, that territory was occupied by Egypt in 1949. And it remained under Egyptian control until 1967. Now, did Egypt say, oh, this territory is now going to become Egypt? No, they didn't say that. They said, this territory is Palestinian. We're administering it, but we're not annexing it. We're not taking it over. But on the other hand, in the West Bank, Jordan did exactly that. Jordan took over and said the whole West Bank is now part of the kingdom of Jordan. So that's what they did. They actually annexed it. They actually made it part of the country. Um, They used Jordanian money there. They used Jordanian postage stamps there. They had pictures of the Jordanian royal family there. The people got Jordanian citizenship who lived there. And it became part and parcel of the Kingdom of Jordan. Um, This annexation was only recognized by two countries in the world, just to tell you. The rest of the world didn't agree with this, but they, you know, facts being facts, that's what happened. The 1967 war came, Israel captured all of the West Bank, all of the Gaza Strip, all of the Sinai Peninsula, and the Golan Heights. So that was the biggest size expansion in 1967. Um, under Menachem Begin, Israel returned the Sinai Peninsula in slices to Egypt. But they, didn't, but they said to Egypt at the time, look, we're giving you back everything. We're giving you back all of the Sinai. We're uprooting our settlers from the Sinai. Um, we're taking all our military stuff out of the Sinai. And while you're at it, how about taking Gaza too? Right? That's what they said to Egypt. You know, why not get this headache off our hands? Egypt said, no. Egypt said, look, this was never part of Egypt. This is part of Palestine. It's your problem. You figure it out. So that's what, that's what, that's how Israel ended up keeping the Gaza after they returned everything else to Egypt uh, uh, in stages from 77 to 84. They returned the rest of the Sinai over back to Egypt. Now, um, having nothing to do with Israel, we'll say, uh, in 2005, the Palestinians decided to hold legislative elections. And the legislative elections were being held in um, uh, uh, the West Bank and in Gaza at the same time. And there were two main two main parties that were contesting these elections, the Fatah party belonging to Yasser Arafat, and the Hamas party, um, uh, which is an outgrowth of the Muslim Brotherhood. So the Muslim Brotherhood is a movement that started in Egypt in the 1920s. And the aim of this movement was to bring Islam to power in Egypt. To make Islam the, the, the ruling uh, philosophy of Egypt and of any Arab country. So um, you could say you could say that this Muslim Brotherhood had the same goals as the religious Orthodox parties in Israel, to make the country into a religious orthodox state. So that way you could force all women to dress appropriately, that way you could have uh, you know uh, no such thing as civil marriages uh, you could have no music being broadcast you could have all the rules of strict Islam would be imposed on the population so that's their that's their game and you just wait one second so that's there so that's that, that's the aim of the Muslim Brotherhood Hamas is an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood in Palestine. So that's the connection between the two two movements. Um, In that election, Hamas got more votes than Fatah got. But Hamas got the majority of its votes in Gaza, and Fatah got the majority of its votes in the West Bank. But had the Palestinians run the elections fairly, Hamas would have won all the election because it was like one piece, one territory, they would have taken over power in both places. But Hamas, uh, 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 Fatah under Arafat, refused to give up power, refused to recognize the results of the elections, the only ones ever taken place. And he kept power in the West Bank. Hamas took power in Gaza, where they were popular anyway. And that was in 2006, 2007. And once that happened, once that happened, I mean, in the Hamas charter, it says, we do not recognize Israel. Our job is to get rid of Israel. We want to kick all the Jews out of, uh, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That's their, that's their slogan. So once they took over in Gaza, Israel had no, you know, no partner to deal with there. And of course, attacks against the settlements in Gaza started to get stronger and stronger. Uh, there were some Jewish settlements in the Gaza Strip. Uh, not a lot, but there were some five, 6,000 settlers who were living there in the Gaza Strip, doing mainly agriculture. Um, but the cost of protecting these settlements, the cost of Israeli soldiers running around these big cities in Gaza, you know, in, in, in jeeps, and keep, you know, they kept getting blown up all the time, Israel, at that point, said, forget it. It's not worth the trouble. We're leaving Gaza. We're uprooting the settlements. Not only did they uproot the settlements, they had to dig up the cemetery. They had to dig up the bodies from the cemeteries to get them back into into Israel proper. So at that point already, then, uh, there was this kind of a wall. Uh, First, it was an imaginary wall, and then a real wall that was built around Gaza to isolate Gaza, uh, with the philosophy of, um, let's make the lives of the people in Gaza so miserable that they themselves will overthrow Hamas. That was the idea. Now, if you want to compare this to what the United States did in Cuba, it had the same results. The United States built a wall around Cuba no a boycott nothing going in nothing going out and p.s the communist party which got there in 1960 is still there so this whole idea of isolating people and making their lives so miserable that they'll overthrow their leadership it never works it just sounds good but it doesn't work and it didn't work in gaza from 2007 to 2023 is 16 years that hamas has been in power So the people have suffered, but Hamas hasn't suffered because they have all the resources that they need to lead good lives and all the military stuff that they need is hidden all over the place. And the people in the meantime are suffering the consequences. So the consequences are, for example, that Israel does not allow Gaza to have a seaport. Israel does not allow Gaza to have an airport. Um, uh, Israel uh, didn't allow... Um, any trade between Israel and Gaza, except on a quite a limited basis. Now, the funny thing is, as the newspapers have written, that this situation is something that Mr. Netanyahu really wanted. He wanted Hamas to look good in Gaza, because one thing Mr. Netanyahu doesn't want, of course, is a Palestinian state. In order to make sure that doesn't happen, you have to make sure that there's a rivalry between Hamas in Gaza and the Fatah in in the West Bank. You have to make sure that these two entities never get together. Um, So he built up Hamas. He made Hamas look important. Anytime that there was opposition to Hamas in Gaza, um, Mr. Netanyahu did nothing to encourage it. So the idea is, that by Hamas being in power and saying how bad Israel is and says we want to destroy Israel, then Mr. Netanyahu says, well, I'm the man who could defend us against this enemy. Look how bad they are. I'm the only one who could protect you. I'm the only one who could save you. They're a threat to us. So, but he's the one who built them up to make that threat because he could have done exactly the opposite and and it it wouldn't have been a threat finally finally in the last couple of years the military uh, intelligence told mr netanyahu look that the things might explode in gaza we have to it's like a pressure cooker we have to lower the pressure on this pressure cooker otherwise things will blow up and so he, so they agreed and this is recent to allow 15 to 20000 daily laborers to come in from gaza to work in israel and Mr. Netanyahu's thought was, okay, you know, maybe these guys have, 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 have it right. Maybe the Israeli military uh, intelligence knows what they're doing because if this money is coming into Gaza and of all these workers, remember that Gaza families are very large. So if you have one worker going to Israel making $100 a day, you know, compared to $5 a day in Gaza, this hundred dollars a day can support, you know, a family of twenty, and so you can kind of multiply out the the the, multiply, the multi, multiplier of the numbers of workers in Israel by ten, and you get the number of people who are being helped by these jobs. Okay, so he figured, look, if things are getting improving in Gaza, then Hamas don't doesn't want to risk the the damage of of having a war and having all this income being being eliminated that was the thinking of the israeli intelligence and they weren't wrong what was wrong was the number of people that they needed to send into israel it shouldn't have been ten thousand. it should have been like a hundred thousand then that would have made a big difference to the lives of the people in gaza and hamas might have said hey we don't care about these people anyway we know, it got, I mean, Hamas knew when they started this war that Gaza would be destroyed. Uh, there wasn't really any other kind of uh, thinking on their part. But they said, you know, it's worth it for what, for what we believe in. And so it is. And from their point of view, from Hamas's point of view, they have the same point of view as Netanyahu said. By making Israel attack Gaza, the Hamas looks good in the people's eyes. It doesn't look bad. It doesn't say, "Oh, look at what you guys did," but they say we're the only ones with weapons. We're the only ones who can defy Israel. We're the only ones fighting back against Israel. Look at the West Bank; they're not doing anything to Israel. We're the ones who are protecting the honor of Palestine. So it makes Hamas look good in the eyes of the people. Of not everybody, obviously, but you know that's their that's their idea of it. So. So the funny part of it is, is both Hamas and Netanyahu needed each other. I'm not talking about up and after this war. I'm saying up until now, they played off of each other, and that's uh, the result is, of course, what what we got uh, what we got now. Um. Uh, yeah. Now somebody else had. Yeah, Bernie, you had your hand up. Yeah.
3: You made a comparison between the Muslim Brotherhood, of Hamas. Religious parties of Israel. Yeah, I think that's a pretty tenuous and false comparison. I don't. I don't at all. I, I don't remember ever any. Religion well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. we kill what. all the Muslims. No, I but I remember any. The, the Muslim Brotherhood. We're going to take over. This I. I. But I.
1: I said I didn't say Hamas. I said the Muslim Brotherhood. It's not the same thing. It I said one is. Thing. No, I said it's not the same thing.
3: One is more. No. No. Ones.
1: Let Let me explain to you why it's not the same thing. Um, the Muslim Brotherhood won a free and fair democratic election in Egypt recently. Who was the prime minister? Who is the who is the president who was elected? You remember his name? Morsi. Right, correct. Morsi. So Mr. Morsi, he was the president in a freely elected election, a fair democratic election, he was elected president of Egypt. Now did egypt have diplomatic relations with israel at the time yes did mr morsi say i'm going to attack uh, i'm going to attack israel and start a war with israel no so the muslim brotherhood is not the same as hamas i said hamas grew out of it that's what i said mr morsi was overthrown in a military coup partly because of his own Political naivete, or his incompetence—let's well, call it incompetence His incompetence. Is he couldn't compromise? I mean, this is also one of the things that that uh, marks uh, the failure of many political leaders. He couldn't compromise with the opposition, and um, the philosophy of the Muslim Brotherhood in terms of running the state on a religious basis is not much different from the philosophy of the ultra-Orthodox parties running Israel on a religious basis. They They want the Torah to be the constitution of Israel. They want that the religious law of the Jewish religious law should apply in all of Israel to all the people. And in that way, they're the same as the Muslim Brotherhood.
3: Yeah? point gentleman is trying to make was that these religious views however fanatic they are would never even dream of going into a Muslim home and splitting the throne no of course not
1: but the but I didn't say no
3: but Hamas but
1: Hamas is not the Muslim Brotherhood I repeat it again they grew out of the Muslim Brotherhood.
3: But they are the version of the
1: well they are you could say that you could say they're a Gaza version of it but uh um the Muslim Brotherhood is an is a kind of a political, philosophical organization, organization. That, that has spread. It's not just in Egypt, that it's it's all over the Muslim world. The
3: distinction was out of difference. Because when Morsi was elected, one of the first things he said is we're gonna tear up that peace treaty with Israel.
1: Yeah, but he didn't. But he didn't.
3: He never got a chance to do it.
1: No, he was in in office for about two years. He was in office for about two years. Um, He he obviously was told by, you know, people like the United States and other funders of Egypt that, uh, you know, don't do anything stupid because you're going to be the ones who suffer. You know, that was, you know... He had a responsibility to sort of run the country badly, as he did. Uh, But um, there wasn't a war between Israel and Egypt. There wasn't, uh, um, you know, uh, killings or any of that kind of stuff. There wasn't seizing of hostages. There wasn't anything. Um, uh, Israeli tourists, uh, for a long time, continued to go to the Sinai Peninsula, to the campgrounds and all that kind of stuff, the, the same places that they went to when Israel controlled the Sinai, when the border was opened uh, with Egypt, they keep kept on going, and they're still going there to this very day. Yes, madam, in the back there. Oh, let's see. Hi. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're right. And you know what? You don't, I can see you so well over here. When I'm standing over here, this light is shining in my eyes so badly that I can't really see what's uh you know on this side. But anyway, go ahead. what what's your question? Yeah. I'm getting beginning picture
2: of what's going on there. Okay, this period is what the problems are. But I want to know what are you what are your views concerning solutions?
1: Oh, boy. So what are my views concerning solutions?
2: Yeah. You know what? It's like, it's
1: like, I, I, yeah. Just for instance,
2: yeah. Yeah. Blackful health is penthouse with the gas. All those people there who are being shoved together and a couple of those i not But, there are other people I the community. And then is What is the mission? What is the
1: mission? How many people are? When it's going to take them out? OK, so let, let me, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I think, what I'm thinking is going to happen based on what happened before. So I do believe some kind of a deal is gonna be made about the hostages. I think that's the sort of easier problem to solve in a certain sense. Um, Israel in the past has made, have made prisoner exchanges with Hamas. Remember the famous idiotic exchange that they made 1,000 Israeli prisoners for one guy? Uh, And one of the prisoners who was freed is now the so-called head of Hamas in Gaza. He's like the president of Gaza, Mr. Shinwar. So, but based on that, considering there's not just one, but there's 220, considering not this is a soldier, but there's, you know, over a hundred and something civilians, Israel, I am sure, would empty out the prisons of Israel, Um, in order to get all those hostages back. Because they've done it before for less. In other words, you know what I mean? They've, They've done it before for less. Not only that, but at this point, there's so many citizens of foreign countries that are being held by Gaza that all of these foreign countries together are pushing Qatar to do something to make some sort of a deal. Maybe there's money involved, maybe there isn't, I have no way of knowing that, but I do believe that the hostages that are alive, because not all of them are alive. Some of them, I'm sure, died. You know, between the time they were captured and 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 and, and now, um, I do believe there that that's that that is the more the easier solution to come up with. So something will happen sooner or later with these people. That's you know that's one thing that I could pretty well figure out. The Netanyahu part. Israel is a democracy. They know what to do. The, 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 polls, the polls were showing that he was losing even before this war started. So if he doesn't, if he himself doesn't resign, uh, which the Israeli public will demand, uh, he will be kicked out in the next election. And remember that because Israel is a democracy, Netanyahu is not a dictator. He's a leader of a party. This party has 30 seats in the Knesset. 29 of those people want to keep their jobs. The next election, they are the ones who are going to go to Mr. Netanyahu and say, "Hey, Mr. Netanyahu, the buck stops here. You better resign." They're the ones who are going to kick him out. You see what I mean? Because they, they, because they, they, they say, if you don't, if you hang on, our 30 seats in the next election could become 15. You understand? So i mean that's what a democracy is so that that issue is is one which will be dealt with by the israeli people at the right time led by the press led by the uh, opinion makers led by uh, tv stations led by demonstrations led by who knows what that's israel's is a very strong democracy i'm not worrying about that but the 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 the, the most important question is what, if, if Israel invades Gaza, what will be the consequences? What will they do with it once they get it? That's the part that's very hard to, to know.
4: Where will the go? What would happen with the, uh, with the Hamas?
1: <laughs> the Hamas? Is remember that Hamas, I mean, the, the world or Israel is, it tries to look at Hamas as if, as if it's a government. It's not a government, it's a gang. It's a gang, okay? And you know what's happening in Haiti now? The gangsters have taken over the country. So if Israel moves in, I mean, these people will just kind of disappear. They're not holding sort of, you know, uh, titles and stuff like that. There's two and a quarter million people in Gaza. They are all related to each other. The guys will just, you know, take off their Hamas shirts and put on a uh, Barcelona, Barcelona football club shirt, and that will be that, you know. And they'll still have enough power on the street to say, if any of you guys rat me out, you, will, you better expect a knock on the door in the middle of the night. And that's going to be that. That's, at least that's what I think, I don't know, it seems logical based on what's happened before, you know. Um, Remember, Hamas was there when Israel was ruling Gaza. You know, they were an organization and they were there and uh, you can't, quote, get rid of them, the way the Israeli press is talking about, like, how are you going to do that? I mean, these are the people who live there, so what are you going to do? now? If Mr. Ben Gvir had his say, he would take the two and a quarter million people of Gaza. He would get boats and say, "Okay, get on the boat or else." And Who go going? Who knows where? I don't know where. But but obviously, obviously that can't happen. Obviously, that Egypt doesn't want. No Arab country wants them. You know, uh, Israel has asked. They believe me. They've asked. Saudi Arabia, would you take these people? They've asked the Emirates, would you take these people? Nobody would take them. Well, because these are Palestinians, you know, living in what they consider to be their homeland or their country. They don't want to leave and the other countries don't want to take them. If you, you know, if you uh, uh, asked uh, Americans, uh, look, you know, Venezuela is being run down to the ground would you want to take 10 million Venezuelans? I mean, you you know, the Republicans are there to try to keep each and every one out. So, you know, this massive population transfer works on the basis of an agreement between two sides. There was a massive population transfer at the end of the First World War between Greece and Turkey. There was a massive population transfer in 1947 between India and Pakistan. So it happens. They do have these things. It does happen. But it has to be, it's not a one-sided thing. It's not like you line up your, I mean, in, in Myanmar, they lined up the guns and they told the Rohingya people who were living along the coastline, who were Muslims, to just get out. And they chased out half a million people. They went to Bangladesh as refugees and they're still there. So it, ethnic cleansing happens all the time. The Armenians who were just kicked out of Nagorno-Karabakh, 120,000 of them. The Azerbaijani troops came and said, okay, that's it, gone. So it happens, but it's not something that is 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 easily accomplished, let's put it like that. Yeah, uh, well, yes, go ahead. Yeah, you and then you, yeah. Me? Yes, go ahead, yeah.
4: Assuming things go the way you said it might go, is Iran going to stop supporting Hamas and rearm them?
1: Uh, you know, I, 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 here, here's another, and again, I'm giving you, I, I have no inside information about anything, right? So I read the press like everybody else. I don't have a cousin in this ministry or that ministry or any of that kind of stuff. The, the, this, Iran, in my view, has been built up by the Israeli government to be a kind of a straw puppet, so sort of to be, like wh- what the Israeli government doesn't want to do and has not wanted to do since 1967 is to create a two-state solution in Palestine. In other words, to have Palestine as a separate state. Now, in the long run, that would be the best thing for Israel if that were to happen, because there would be no more excuse for the Arabs to Attack Israel, to hate Israel, to boycott Israel. There would be no excuse for countries like Pakistan and Indonesia not to deal with Israel or Malaysia. You got what you wanted. Here's your two-state solution. That's it. But because Israelis don't want that, out of fear of what might happen to them, like what just happened now, and out of religious motivation to say, this is the land that God gave our people, we can't give it up, so out of these motivations, they want to do everything else but to deal with the Palestinians. So in order to sort of create, a, I would say, a kind of a straw man, Iran, which is nowhere near Israel, Iran, which has never attacked Israel physically, Iran, which has political interests for sure, which has allies for sure, which has groups that they support for sure, um has been built up by Israel into this tremendous threat. Um, and this serves Mr. Netanyahu. Mr. Netanyahu goes to the United Nations. He's got this big graph showing Iran this, Iran that, nuclear this, nuclear that. Um, you know, it's as if Iran is going to drop a nuclear bomb on Israel. Now you think of Israel, of how small it is, right? It's it's is is it's from from even even including the west bank from the ocean to the jordan River is 30 miles it's like nothing now you're going to drop a bomb a nuclear bomb on what on israel and not by chance hit beirut and not hit a man and not hit god knows what else and considering that the winds are blowing from the west to the east like everywhere else all that nuclear fallout is going to go right back to iran so this idea of Iran as being a threat to Israel, is I'm not saying it isn't, but what I'm saying is, is that Mr. Netanyahu has built it up to the point so that people could concentrate on Iran and not concentrate on what the real problem is, which is to come to a solution with the Palestinians. That's been his, you know, Israel has to find another enemy to, to, to sort of, uh, you know, to, to distract people from. And that's that's what the role of Iran is. Yes, Iran has backed Hezbollah. Yes, Iran backs Hamas, kind of a little bit less. They certainly backed uh, the Syrian uh, dictator Mr. Assad, because these are all Shiite Muslims. Iran has its own its own um, agenda. Iran's agenda is to support Shia Islam wherever it is, and. The Shiites are minorities and were poor minorities in, in Syria and a poor minority in Lebanon um, and uh, a, a poor majority in Iraq. And that was the aim of Iran, to diplomacy to support Shia Islam around the Middle East, including in Yemen, um, uh, including in Kuwait, in, including in, um, in uh, Kuwait and uh, et cetera, and, and Bahrain also. So, I mean, for them, for Iran, Israel wasn't the most important thing. Israel was a tool for Iran to use, showing the Arab world and the Muslim world how, how what a great leader of Islam, Iran is. So it, their, their goal was to promote Shia Islam around the Middle East, using Israel as a kind of a fall guy, as a kind of a doormat to say, we're stepping on Israel. We hate Israel more than anybody else. Iran doesn't, the people of Iran don't hate Israel. They don't have nothing to do with Israel. You understand what I mean? So again, Iran and Netanyahu play off each other the way Hamas and Netanyahu play off each other. If if the moment Iran threatens Israel, Netanyahu says, ah, look, I can save you against Israel. I'm going to the United Nations to say, you know, throw, throw Iran into the garbage, but it's a game, it's not, it's not real, that's what I'm saying, that, that's my opinion anyway, anyway, yeah, let's see someone else, yes, go ahead, yeah. Putin and? China. And China, oh, well, you know, this is a tough, this is a tough, um, This is a tough situation for for world leaders, because everybody puts a microphone in front of them and says, what do you think? And the moment, because you have two sides against each other, and you have supporters of one side and supporters of the other side, the moment you take sides, you automatically alienate not only one side that's doing the fighting, but all of its backers. So um, just as Israel has tried, and I'm saying tried, to be neutral in the war between Russia and the Ukraine. Of all the democracies in the world, Israel is just about the last one to go and say we support the Ukraine. Uh, because they wanted to be neutral. They didn't want to be drawn into that situation. Um, so it's the same thing for countries which are kind of like outside of the immediate vicinity, uh, you know, um, to, to do that. You know, traditionally. During the Cold War, when the Soviet Union was around, the Soviet Union at the very beginning supported Israel's creation because they thought this would be a blow to Great Britain. Once they got over that stage, they said, look, there's more Arab and Muslim countries in the world than there is a Jewish country, namely only one. So they, they in general supported uh, Nasser and uh, the other uh, Arab nationalist leaders who were opposing Israel. And um, you know that same thinking is still around in Russia today. There's more of them than there are of us, so to speak. Uh, China is is, is is China is, uh, and now and now that this war wars going on with the Ukraine, um, uh, Iran is is supplying a lot of material to Russia. They supply drones uh, that were used in attacking the Ukraine. Um, so uh russia is is uh, you know nobody everybody can eat, come out and say well we want to we want a ceasefire we want peace and all that and that's all you have to say to to be to be on the neutral side that's all you have to say so china said that russia said that um you know that's what you say to the cameras you know uh, what else are you going to say you can't take sides in this t- sort of in this sort of situation China and Israel had some pretty good ties, but, you know, again, China has a lot more Muslim friends and Arab friends than Israel, than Israel. Um, and now <clears throat> there's also a large Muslim uh, population in China, but China is not catering to them, so they're not considering what they think, that's for sure um you know like the whole world they'd rather this thing didn't exist altogether and let them make some kind of deal and let's get on with our lives and we don't want to be forced to choose between one side and another so that's what that's what the, but to my i would say surprise western europe has come out very strongly in, in on the israeli side I mean, usually you would expect Western leaders to say, yes, we want to cease fire. Yes, we want peace and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Mr. Sunak, the prime minister of Great Britain, has gone to Israel. Mr. Macron from France has gone to Israel. Mr. Biden has gone to Israel. Um, and pretty well all the Western leaders have come out very strongly in favor of Israel's right to defend itself and saying, Israel, look, you got to do what you got to do. And But as the pictures will emerge from TV of destruction in Gaza, they will start to say, well, we wish you could, uh, you know, avoid civilian casualties, which is impossible, because there's like 2 million people squashed into a tiny area. Um, Gaza is more densely populated than New York or than uh, London or any of these places. I mean, uh, it's small. It's smaller than Montreal. I think Montreal Island has, what, a million people living on it? Something like that. Two million in greater Montreal, so, sort of. Uh, Gaza is about half the size of Montreal, with double the population. So they're really, they're really uh, squeezed in there. And uh, uh, you know, they don't also. They also don't have multi. They have high-rise buildings, but they're not sixty and seventy-story high-rise buildings. So you know, pretty well every scrap of land is being taken up some way or other. You
3: know.
2: Uh,
1: yes, sir.
3: You just indicated, as you are talking now, that the, I think you can see the ultimate uh, solving of this problem as a two state solution. Am I correct?
1: Do I think the solution of the problem is a two state solution? I, I would say in the long run, yes.
3: Given that Jordan is a Palestinian state, 80% of least of which Jordan is Palestinian. Given that there was absolutely no demand whatever for another Palestinian state during from 1948 to 1967 right. Given that Arafat said openly, we want a Palestinian state as a step toward destroying Israel Given that everything the Arabs have done indicate that they have absolutely no desire for a Palestinian state They just want Israel gone How do you explain on what basis do you think that even in the long run, there is a two-state solution?
1: Okay, Uh, it's an excellent question. It's an excellent question and so many people have asked the same question. And I forgot
3: the military.
1: So so many people have asked the same question, okay. First of all, you're right in saying that a large percentage of Jordan is of Palestinian origin. It's not it's not 80%, but it's more more in the 50-ish range. Okay. But that's neither that's neither here nor there. Um, because you have countries today, you could say, for example, well, um, Australia, and most of it is of English origin, and New Zealand is of English origin, and Great Britain is of English origin, so why aren't they all one country? You could have people of the same ethnic group speaking. look at South America. They're all Spanish-speaking people. They're all a mixture of Indians and Spanish. How come South America isn't one country? It's not up for you, not to you to decide, you know, uh, which country you should belong to. It's obviously, if you ask the Palestinians themselves who are living in Palestine, do you want to be part of jordan? if If you could have your choice, what would be your ideal choice? Would you want to live in an independent Palestinian state? Would you want to live as an Israeli in Israel? or would you like to like would you like Jordan to take over uh, the West Bank the way it was beforehand? Most of them would say, they would like to live in an independent Palestinian state. The second most would say, we want to be in Israel. We'd like to be in Israel. We would like to be given the same rights in Israel as the Israeli Arabs have. Because, you know, so far they're living not great lives. And the Israeli Arabs, by contrast, they're living pretty good lives for them, you know. So, um So until, and remember that there are 4 million Palestinians living sort of in between Gaza and the West Bank, more like four four and a half to 5 million, Um, they're not going anywhere. And so if there isn't a Palestinian state, then this problem will continue to exist because these people say, "We we are a people without a country and we are being occupied either directly or indirectly. And so, what are you going to do about it? You know, you could say it would be nice if they would all move to Jordan. Or it would be nice if Jordan took over a few pieces of land that we say they could take over. But that's your solution, that's not their solution. So until they're satisfied, this conflict will continue. That's what I'm saying. In the long run, and I'm saying in the long run, not the short run, in the long run, Uh, peace between Palestine and Israel and an independent Palestinian state is the best thing that could happen to Israel forget about the Palestinians, who cares but for Israel this would be the best thing because Israel would have no responsibility over them, Israel wouldn't have to have a military force going in there all the time Um, uh, you know uh, Israel would be able to deal with them as they would want to and uh, if they have a friendly government, they'd have better relations. If, uh, a hostile government, they have hostile relations. But still, the world would say now the Palestinians have a state. Now, some Palestinians would say, no, we want the whole country to be part of Palestine. Uh, you know, the whole country from river to sea, Palestine will be free. Yeah, but you could want all kinds of things, except that the United Nations agreed that there would be a state of Israel then. The United Nations still has Israel as a, as a member now, and you could say you want all kinds of things, but it doesn't mean that, that it's gonna be legitimate in the eyes of the world. You know that's, And not only that, but if there is a Palestinian state, now the question becomes for that state, okay, there's more Palestinians that live outside than inside. Does this Palestinian state put up posters in Beirut and in Damascus and in Amman and say, now we have our own state, you're welcome to come back and live as Palestinians in a Palestinian country. Or do they say, forget it, you know, you stay where you are and uh, that's it. So the conflict will become between those groups of people that have nothing to do with Israel, you see? So, um, so long as there isn't a peace between the Palestinians and Israel, those people living in Beirut, holding keys to their houses, they're in Tel Aviv, those people can say, well, you know what? If one day they win the war, we'll come back to our houses, okay? But once there's an agreement that says Palestine recognizes the state of Israel as a state, as a Jewish state, these people can take their keys and put them in the garbage can. So that's, that's the point, you see? That's why I'm saying that a peace is good for Israel. It's more good for Israel than it is for the Palestinians.
3: I believe you are fantasizing. We have a concrete example for about 16, 17 years. Gaza could have been the beginning of a Palestinian state, Singapore on the Mediterranean. We have seen the results. Why would you expect a different result if you gave them a state in the West Bank?
1: Because um, the uh, the reason is that if there was a peace agreement between the two sides, it would be endorsed by all kinds of outside parties that would act as kind of guarantors. Um, uh, the the idea of the Singapore on the Mediterranean was uh, an idea which um has no real parallel because singapore is an independent country gaza was never recognized by israel as an independent country gaza never had the right to do anything they wanted to they never had their own currency they never had a passport they never had a nation gaza was not admitted to the united nations so that's the difference that's and there's a big difference. Gaza never had um, the opportunity to be an independent, self-governing country. That's the difference. So you can't compare the two things.
4: You
2: want to yeah, this
1: just a second. Let let this lady talk. Yeah, go ahead.
4: To answer your question about the two states of Russia.
1: Oh, oh, okay. By the way, I have to finish. I have a class at four o'clock somewhere else. It's three twenty-five. <laughs>
2: And I forget
4: their is No matter what happened between Hamas and Israel now, Saudi Arabia is going to continue for peace with Israel. It has interest to do that because of the railway Mm -hmm. from Europe via Israel to Saudi, economically very interesting to Saudi. Hamas is going to disappear, because Saudi is going to
1: push him away. Saudi Arabia going to push Well, away. and look, the, the, just to finish, okay. I, I do have to leave, but I do want to say this, that one of the main ideas, as I've said before, of this Hamas invasion was to stop the Saudi-Israeli peace that was coming to be, and uh, they figured correctly that if they start a war with Israel Saudi Arabia can't possibly say oh never mind what's happening to the Palestinians never mind what's happening in Gaza never mind all the destruction i'm going to show up in tel aviv and shake the hand of uh, of the president that is not going to happen you see so they achieved that goal in the media you know in the short run anyway but listen i have to thank you all cuz i really have to leave you can stay and talk among yourselves as they used to say